people, I got to tell you, I love Sundays, and of course, I've already told you, I love Sundays like this Sunday, when people are going public with their faith in Christ. In water baptism, I mean, there's just something so special about a Sunday. And that's one of the big things we do at New Day. We do Sundays. But there's actually a second thing that we do, and that's why I'm here today. I'm actually here today, and I'm going to share with you the second thing we do. If you've been to Discover class, you'll hear us say this at Discover. We say, New Day, we really do two things. We do Sundays, and boy, do we love Sundays. But then we also do small groups. We do Sundays at our church, and we do small groups. Now, you might have gone to a church that did 100,000 things, and they had basket weaving or something on top of it. I mean, they just did the whole shebang. But at New Day, we have this saying, and we say, well, we'd rather do a few things well versus a lot of things poorly. And so we're trying to really capitalize on what we feel like God has actually really called us to do as a church. And again, if you ask anybody here on staff, we'd tell you, we really, when you boil it all down, we really do two things, Sundays and small groups. Now, it's not just because that's what we want to do. We actually believe this is biblical. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and I encourage you to actually read Acts on your own. I have more verses for you today, but... I want you to read it chapter two at some point throughout the week for yourself. But in Acts chapter two, verse 46, you see a picture of the first church, the early church. And what the early church did is they worshiped together, just like you and I did this morning. And they worshiped together regularly, it says, in the temple. But then the second thing that they did is they actually met in people's homes, in small groups where they broke bread together and they got into relationship together in a different way than you actually can do on a Sunday. So in Acts chapter two, we see that groups, small groups, are biblical. I will share more scripture with you today, but before I share that with you, I actually wanna share a story with you that you may have already heard about on the news, but I think that this story is so great because it shows us the great need for the second thing we do here, But when I say great, I don't mean in a good way. It's actually tragic. But it's going to show you how badly we need the second thing we do at New Day. You see, the story is about Pia Ferenkoff. Take a look at the screen. The grainy picture was that. That's all I could find on the internet. But Pia was an excellent student. She was on the National Honor Society, and she even received a scholarship to the University of Massachusetts, Boston. She never married had a handful of friends, and she stayed loosely connected to her eight siblings. But tragically, on March 5th, 2014, she was found dead in her car, parked in the garage of her home. The Detroit Free Press reported that two repairmen, hired by a foreclosure company, came to patch a hole in the roof. Eventually, they found her, slumped in the back seat of the Jeep Liberty, parked in her garage. Now, that information alone is tragic enough, but you need to hear the rest of this story. You see, Pia hadn't been stabbed or shot, and it was overall unclear what caused her death. However, what was clear is that when she was found, she was found mummified. What that means is that she had been dead for a very, very, long time. Medical examiners eventually determined that Pia had died on or shortly after February 25th, 2009. 
Some of you heard what I said earlier, and you heard that she was found on March 5th, 2014. If you're doing that math, that's five years until her body was found by foreclosure repairmen. Pia was over 40 years old. She had family, she had friends, she had coworkers and neighbors, yet nobody noticed she was missing for five whole years. See, when you hear a tragic story like that, you have to ask yourself, how in the world? How in the world does a middle-aged person surrounded by family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors go missing for five years and yet no one reports her missing? Nobody notices that she's gone? It seems impossible, yet Pia's story isn't made up. It's real. In fact, this last week, another story came out of a 65-year-old woman found mummified in a bathtub. I just read the article. I'd already prepared this whole sermon. Literally at the end of my week this past week, I read an article like that. It's real. See, I remember hearing this story back in 2014, but I was reminded of it again when it was referenced in a book that I've been reading called The Sacred Us by Justin Kendrick. He's a local pastor. And in the book, Kendrick also writes this. Take a look. He said, One way, our, sorry, our way of life has produced a world where people are friendly but friendless, where we are known by many but actually known. I do what the teenagers do right now. This is what they do right now. You got to emphasize it, actually known by very few. That true meaning of being known by somebody. We still don't know how Pia died, but here's something we're certain of. She ultimately died alone. We're not in the book of Matthew today, but we are in the good book still. And I actually want to zero in on a few key scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes. We did an entire sermon series on Ecclesiastes a couple summers ago, but because of Pia's story and the moment we're in right now, I actually want to share a few verses again from chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Take a look. Here's what Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. Don't miss this today, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Verse 11, also if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, what was taking place in Solomon when he wrote this is that he was looking around at the world and he was seeing so much loneliness around him. In fact, Justin Kendrick is writing that book and he's seeing the same thing around him. So much loneliness. And you and I can look around, even at New Day Church on a Sunday, and we can recognize that there are actually quite a few lonely people. In fact, you might be one of them. And what's so weird about it is that you might have a bunch of acquaintances. You actually might have a bunch of online relationships. You may have a ton of coworkers and you guys laugh and you actually get along in the workplace, but then we fool ourselves in those moments thinking we have real, true community. You see, in actuality, you can have all those things I just referenced and still be completely and utterly alone. 
I think the context in Ecclesiastes is important today, especially for us Americans in American culture. Because what Solomon was actually seeing is this. He was pointing out that so many people are lonely because they've actually been trying to gain things. Stuff, degrees, accolades, awards, winning tournaments and competitions and sport. And these are the things that they've been chasing after to fill a void in their lives. If I just have the right job, if I just make enough money, if I just have my friends and family thinking I'm a success, then I will have arrived and I'll finally feel like I've made it, like I matter, like there's something right about me finally. But I want you to know something about Pia Ferenkoff. Pia, when she died, she had a great job. And on the day of her death, she had $50,000 in her savings account when she died. She was known for being very good at her work, and she performed not just up to cultural standards in the workplace and in the school and in academia, but she, she was beyond good. But when nobody knows that you're dead for five years, how many of you know that your net worth doesn't really matter? I want you to hear something from me today. There is a poverty that exists that is far worse than not having money. There is something called relational poverty. You might have all the money in the world. Both your hands might be full to the brim. But if you don't have people, if you don't have community to share it with, then I promise you, you are poor. See, don't get me wrong, don't get it twisted. There's nothing wrong with success. Success in and of itself is not evil. The problem arises when you spend all of your time and effort trying to pursue everything but community and everything but relationship with other people that when you get your success and you get all that stuff, you find you have no one to share it with. Success isn't the tragedy. The tragedy is when you find worldly cultural success and don't have a soul in the world that even knows about you. So, this is why at New Day Church, you can see why we would take small groups so seriously. In fact, I hope you can see already why we would call it the second thing we do. It's that important to find relationships with other believers if you're gonna do this thing called Christianity, if you're gonna be this thing called a follower of Jesus. Relationships are that important. We find it in Acts chapter two that it's biblical. Solomon points it out earlier, earlier than that in Ecclesiastes. And honestly, I could point to hundreds of scriptures to show you, and I don't have the time to do that. But the entire Bible is filled with the importance of relationship. So I can't cover every scripture, so I want to cover one, and the one I thought was the most important is the one we actually put on our facilitator's guide for our small group facilitators. I can't share them all, but in the facilitator's training packet, we reference a very powerful and important verse, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. Take a look at the screen. It's in your notes as well. Here's what the Bible says. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Christians, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. 
I just want to pause and I want to tell you how glad I am that you showed up in person for T-Shirt Sunday for those of you here in person. In fact, this verse from Hebrews was a driving force behind having T-Shirt Sunday in the first place. How many of you know when COVID hit, it became pretty easy to neglect church attendance, right? We got out of the habit pretty quickly, but the writer of Hebrews says, don't get out of that habit of showing up on a Sunday. And at New Day, your Sunday best is a t-shirt, so come on, you can show up on a Sunday. You don't even have to have a tie or a dress. You just got to show up, and you don't forsake the gathering of believers. And we get to worship together and hear the word together. I love Sundays and I'm so glad for everybody showing up. And some of you can't, and I know you can't, and you'd love to, but you're online, and I'm so glad you're showing up online, for those of you who can, because Sundays are so important. But the writer of Hebrews, you just need to know, was not just talking about temple worship on a Sunday. The writer of Hebrews assumes the Christian reality is day in, day out, relationship with one another, You've got to be in each other's presence to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to encourage, to be there as a voice and a help and a support and to be known. That's outside of Sundays. And the best place is not in this large group gathering for that to occur. In fact, the best place, we believe, is in a small group. Let me see if I can break it down for you like this. Take a look. You have a few, four fill-in-the-blanks coming up right now. So take out your notes. If you're online, you can find the notes tab. Sundays are for information and inspiration. That's really what we're doing on a Sunday. But small groups are different. Small groups are for intimacy and interdependence. Information and inspiration on a Sunday, intimacy and interdependence on a small group. And here's the deal, I think you get Sundays. First of all, I see a ton of you in here with me, so I know you get it. Some of you showed up here today, you get it. You know that when you come to a place like New Day Church, you get that kind of information. It's called the truth of God's word. And I already said how grateful I am for Mike, but I'll say it again. Because the way that he studies the scriptures and knows the truth of them and then tries to convey it in the simplest way that we could hear it. If you walk into New Day Church on a Sunday, you are gonna get information, but it doesn't stop there because then you just become a smarter sinner. <laughs> the inspiration has to show up on a Sunday where you say, I gotta take this out the door. This has to be a Monday through Sunday kind of faith. And I'm gonna go now live it. How do we apply this word? How do we be doers of the word? You get that so beautifully. I'm so grateful for New Day Church, for Mike, and for all of that means, all that means. And, and that just makes sense. Information, inspiration, we get it, we experience it. Small groups though, I think, are a little bit unclear because we've had a bad definition for the two words that I just used. I used intimacy and interdependence. For, intimate, for, for instance, intimacy in our culture has become synonymous with what? With, with sex. I'll take a side note here, just at that thought, and tell you in the early days of our small group ministry, Mike used to lead our small groups. And Mike wrote an email to every single facilitator of small groups when he was leading the small groups ministry. And he said, Make sure you have good snacks. <laughs> but when he was writing the email, he was so busy that he couldn't actually type it, so he used Siri. Oh. 
And he said, hey, Siri, make sure you have good snacks. <laughs> Siri, in the early days, being the godless woman that she is, <laughs> translated the word snacks. I won't tell you what she translated it to, but I think you can figure it out. So for one semester, our small groups were known for this as well, but intimacy in our culture. <laughs> that, was a, that was a mess to clean up. That was fun. Those were good days. Mike doesn't lead our small groups anymore, just so you know, and now you know why. We don't let him do it. He's not allowed. But you know it's true that intimacy in our culture, it's become synonymous with sex, but that's actually not the definition of intimacy. Intimacy actually refers to this, close familiarity or friendship. Closeness. You see, surface relationship can happen on a Sunday, but you need more time together for appropriate intimacy. It's called familiarity and closeness. That happens in a small group. And interdependence is really a confusing word in a culture that actually values independence or dependence much more than interdependence, but actually the Bible highlights interdependence. Take a look at the definition first of what it really means. Interdependence means, it's your next fill in the blank, it means being mutually reliant, mutually reliant on each other. If you're an independent person, here's what you think. You think to yourself, I don't need anybody else. I'll take care of me. I'll hustle. I'll scrap my way through life. I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'll do me. I don't need anybody else. That's independence. Dependent people think they have zero to offer the world. And they don't believe they can get through life at all without the help of someone else at all times. They have nothing to offer and they feel like a waste. That's dependent people. Interdependent people realize the truth of scripture, that we actually in this life mutually rely on one another. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. The Bible says it like this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You are a blade and somebody else is a blade as well. And the only way you sharpen each other is if you come together. One sharpens one, the other one sharpens the other. Simultaneously, it's mutual, it's together, but it's recognizing I can't go through this life alone. I'll become dull. And I can't not contribute because then I won't sharpen anybody else. It's an inter interdependent life that God wants us to live. We mutually come together to rely on one another, to spur one another on, to encourage one another. Speaking of the one another's, as I've been doing my study over weeks time, and I looked up the, the word, what does it really mean? What's the Greek for one another? The, the word is alelon. And that word is actually used a hundred times in the New Testament. This word that means one another, it means each other, mutually, reciprocally, interdependently, and our Bible, the scriptures, saw it fit that a hundred times that Greek word would show up in the New Testament alone. I'm gonna show you on this slide how many one another phrases actually exist, and I won't get all of them on there, but just take a look for the scope. And if you can see the top left, if you're in the back, you can't see it, but the top left says love one another. That shows up 16 times. Be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another, accept one another, admonish, greet, care for, serve, bear one another's burdens. 
Let me just read some more because you can't see it. You just have to see the scope. But the Bible tells me to forgive one another, be patient with, speak the truth to one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to encourage one another, submit to one another, consider others better than yourself. So that means you have to look towards the interest of not just you, independent people. You have to look into the interest of the one another's. Bear with one another, teach, comfort, encourage, exhort. And our verse from Hebrews chapter 10, stir up, provoke, stimulate, sharpen one another to love and to good works. It's the Christian life. Show hospitality. I love this one. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And the last two that were on the list that you couldn't see because it's such a big list. I think these happen in groups in the specialist way possible. It says pray for one another. And then the last one said confess your sins to one another. Can you one another on a Sunday? Of course you can. But if you could look at that list again and you looked closely, you'll see that a bunch of those things that I just referenced you cannot do well when someone is blaring a worship song in your ear next to you and singing to the top of their lungs. It just doesn't go well. Some of these one another's just don't happen when there's 150 people out in the foyer or 400 so people in this room right now with us. You just can't do some of those one another's in the New Day Kids hallway when you're crammed. I mean, for goodness sakes, your pastors are telling you, get back to your parking spot and free it up for somebody else. I mean, we're telling you to get out the door, right? It's like you, can run, you feel rushed on a Sunday. Even if you're not trying to give up your spot, you're feeling rushed on a Sunday, you've got to go to lunch, you've got to go to a sporting event. So you might be here for an hour and you can do that whole surface thing of relationship, but remember, Sundays are about information and inspiration. You'll never find intimacy and interdependence like you will in a small group setting. Can you want another outside of any church setting, any church setting, Sundays or small groups? Of course you can. But let me just ask you this. Are you likely to confess your sins when you're out with your secular friends? If you're out at a bar, are you likely to do that? I mean, I know some people do that with their bartender. I get it. But like, you know, the Christian way, you know? For some people, that's their confessional. But, but for the Christian way where a believer is supposed to come up against you and another believer and you're getting godly wisdom and someone that knows the scriptures and they know where you're trying to go and they understand the call of God on your life and you can talk to them and tell them how you've fallen but how badly you want to get back up. And they can tell you about, it's about direction and not perfection. And it's by God's grace you've been saved through faith. And they can encourage you. You're not going to get that at the bar. When you're out with your coworkers, do you often speak to them with a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song? I highly doubt it. Maybe you've tried that in work and you don't work there anymore. I don't know what happened to you, but I, I, I don't know how that's going to go. Good luck. Try it out. But I don't know how that's going to go. You know what it's like. You can have friends and acquaintances and people that are online relationships, but you know they don't know you. You haven't found that place to be known. You haven't found that place to be sharpened. Maybe I'll never convince you because you think your life is just fine with your acquaintances and those surface-level relationships. And I might not convince you, but I just want you to know what the leadership of New Day Church is convinced of based on God's word that I shared with you today. And it's this. The best place to one another, biblically speaking, in intimacy and interdependence is in a small group. There's no place quite like it 
when you're in someone's home or you're in a small classroom here midweek and you can just be one another in a safe place to do it and experience that Christian reality. I just want you to know today, I want that Christian reality for every single one of you. But maybe still I haven't convinced you, so I'm going to give it one more shot because this certainly is a sermon. But I do want you to take an action step and do God's word today and join a small group. But I know what you might be thinking. That's a pastor up there. They pay him to say stuff like this, I bet. Why would he try to convince me? Maybe he's just one of those religious types. And I don't want to hear that. And here's what I just need you to know. I'm a whole lot more like you than you realize. But secondly, every single week, what does make me kind of a little bit different is people send me testimonies and they send me their comments about our small group ministry. And I read testimony after testimony after testimony of people just like you, people just like me, of how God has transformed and changed their life because they're finally known. They've finally gotten into relationship, true Christian relationship with other believers and they don't feel alone being a Christian any longer. They know that if they fall down, and they know they will, they'll have someone, at least somebody, that'll be there to pick them up. And I get testimony after testimony after testimony, and I wish I had the time because I'd love to fill a whole Sunday with everybody telling you how great groups are. I can't give you every testimony, but I can give you one. And so the one I want you to hear from is the one from Megan. She's been a part of our small groups here for many semesters. And so I want you to take a look at the screen and hear her heart for you when it comes to small groups. She's been part of them so long that she now has a heart for you about our small groups ministry. Take a look at the screen. When I first started coming to New Day, I came by myself, which meant I didn't have anyone to sit with. For being an extrovert, not a big deal. But for you introverts, golly, that is your worst nightmare. As I began to join groups, I found my people to sit with on Sundays. Who would have thought God would bless me in such a simple way? Being a part of a group is a beautiful experience where you'll be encouraged and you'll be celebrated, prayed over, challenged, and you'll watch the Holy Spirit work in your life and in others. Joining together, learning about Jesus and how to walk with Him in your particular season is a must. We are not supposed to walk alone in life. I've been blessed in groups, being surrounded by people who have my back and are watching out for my soul. Seriously, do you have anyone on a weekly basis that's watching out for your soul? Intense thought, huh? Like I said, joining a group requires bravery. We are busy people with a million different priorities that are pulling us in so many different directions. I get it. But trust me, lay down those burdens and barriers and bravely join a group. I prepped this sermon like a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, started. She recorded this like six months ago. I know what you were thinking. You're like, oh, he set her up. Like she was supposed to say that just for his. The words she used, I just couldn't even believe it. And I hadn't seen them until I prepped my sermon. I want to remind you of some of the words Megan just said. She said, joining together. We're not supposed to walk alone in life. She said, people who have my back, they're watching out for my soul. And then she stared in the camera and she asks you the same question that I want to ask you, though she's going to do it so much better. Do you have somebody that's watching out for your soul? 
Megan Mimic, I assure you, has people watching out for her soul. If she is gone for more than two weeks tops, I would say, two weeks tops, and we hadn't heard from Megan Mimic, there are countless people in her life that she has been appropriately intimate with and an appropriate interdependency with that would scour the earth for her. They would not sleep until she was found. If Megan Mimic ever falls, she's never falling alone. That's Megan. But I know you remember Pia Ferenkoff. Well, when she ultimately fell, she fell all alone. Hey, New Day Church, I want you to hear me. Never fall alone. You don't have to. So with our last few moments together, I know you don't have to, so I want to give you two action steps that you can take so that you never have to worry ever again from this day forward about falling alone. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to begin your most important relationship. As a Christian, there is a relationship with Jesus Christ that matters more than any other relationship in your lifetime. I want you to know right off the bat, our groups are not social clubs. They are designed around one person, and that person is not you, and it's not me, and it's not Mike, our lead pastor, or any other pastor you love. Our groups are all organized around the person of Jesus Christ. And when we gather as a group, we are there to love him, serve him, obey him, and spur one another on in that same desire and goal. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never accepted the most important relationship in your life, and I'll tell you this right now, this is the one relationship where you need to be utterly dependent on him. If you're gonna be a dependent person, I'm only good with it in this one case, and it's when you're utterly dependent on Jesus Christ alone. He is your savior, but first he's your Lord. That is, he died on a cross in your place for your sins. And as you place your faith in that reality, he forgives you of your sins. A peace that you need with God so that eternity can be, heaven can be your home in eternity, you need and you can only get through Jesus and what he's done. And the resurrection of the dead, that resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we know he, he, he totally conquered death, totally conquered sin for you and me. Placing your faith in that once and for all if you've never done it. That's the beginning of the most important relationship you have. You can't bring all your accolades to God. That's not the entry to heaven. The only thing that will get you entry is your utter dependence on what Christ has done on your behalf. If you've yet to give your life to Jesus in that way, today you need to make that decision. Start that, begin that most important relationship you'll ever have. That's number one. And here's number two. And honestly, even if you don't decide to do that, you can do step two. The step two is to sign up for a small group. I've had somebody get saved in a small group that I've been in. So maybe you're still, I'm not quite ready for that yet. Well, I'd say, hey, still, you can try a small group, but guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna be about a bunch of Christians, a bunch of people trying to sharpen one another. But sign up for a small group is your next action step. And you can do that right now. Take a look at your notes on the very back page. I'm telling you, never fall alone. And you have a QR code. Most of us have a smartphone. Scan the QR code. Groups open up today for the fall. They begin in October. 
We're going to sign up for the next couple of weeks. Pick the group that jumps out to you. Ask our groups pastor, Michelle. She's in the foyer. She's the best groups pastor on the planet. She would love to help you. She'll know exactly what you need to hear if you have any questions about groups. And then go in the chat if you're online. We have online groups. We have groups in all different areas. We'd love to get you signed up online. Click the link. But whatever you do, however you have to find a way into a group, do it. Because you should never, ever fall alone. Let's pray. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, it's tragic when we see a story like Pia because we know what your word says, God. You love the whole world. Jesus came and died in our place for our sins because you, God, so loved the whole world. And that included Pia, and my heart breaks for her to have to die in that kind of way. God, I know there's sin in the world, and I know there's tragedy because of that sin, but God, I also know there's so much hope in your word. There's so much hope in the resurrected Christ. And I know, God, that there are people right now within the, within the sound of my voice that they can decide once and for all, make a decision, make a covenant with you, make a pact that they will never, ever fall alone. And so, God, I pray for whoever needs to do it today, they would be alone no longer in this life because Jesus would become their Savior, that Jesus would be their Lord, that they can be truly, fully dependent upon him and what he can provide for them in this life and the life to come. But then from that, God, I pray that every single person from the outpouring of that reality of Christ in our lives would dive into that interdependent relationship that you want us to have. God, that would dive into small groups, showing up, not wondering what's going to happen, knowing that what you've done in our lives individually is going to sharpen somebody else. It's going to encourage somebody else. It's going to be the testimony that that person, they had to hear to get through that next month. God, I know you have done these things in our lives and even the tragedies, even some of our regrets, God, you can redeem them for good. And I know you have a plan to do that in our groups. And so God, I pray that whatever reservation that anybody might have today of signing up for a group, that that would be laid to the side that your Holy Spirit would convict in only the way that the Holy Spirit can and that everybody would sign up for a group today, God. May we never fall alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.